what is good everybody it's your host Fuad back at it with another banger episode of shoot your shot the NBA finals are finally here and I could not be more excited to report them and cover them to you guys here today we'll be discussing how Denver remained undefeated at home for game one and how Miami came back to steal a game on the road heading back down to South Beach with an even split we'll be getting into all the narratives covered for you guys here today how the refing was really suspect towards the end of game two and how Miami needs to tee up to try to actually have a chance to win this thing we'll also be diving into how a lot of people continue to keep counting out the Miami Heat which shouldn't have been the case after they defeated one of the title favorites the Milwaukee Bucks back in the first round in a gentleman's sweep with Jimmy Butler's infamous 56 point game performance so without further ado let's get right into the news I think that they would to be honest we got Jimmy Butler coming out with a lot of vengefulness to his type of play you know um they took game two they stole it you had that Jamal Murray shot at the end which almost tied it it was a very physical game um you got kind of a low scoring matchup for the finals at least but you pretty much had the heat kind of like change their entire game plan when it came to how they wanted to approach it they essentially changed how Jokic plays because it goes back to that team chemistry aspect we discussed in previous episodes and then how everyone touches the ball in one possession for the Denver Nuggets. And then that over the course of the game, if it doesn't happen as much, you typically have people like KCP and MPJ and Bruce Brown not touching it a lot. So they're kind of falling outside of every play, which they're used to not doing which essentially puts the pressure on their two stars. And then when you have those role players down the stretch wanting to make the plays, so for example, Jokic kicking it out to Bruce Brown, MPJ, they are typically missing those shots that they would make because of that lack of chemistry and lack of initiation that they've had throughout the offense over the course of the entire game. So I feel like that's, one of the main reasons that Miami took game two. Whereas if you see game one stats, pretty much Jokic had like a classic Jokic stat line, right? He had 27, 10, and 14. But then in game two, he had 41 and he only had 40 assists with 11 rebounds. So Miami's strategy was essentially to do something that no other team has done this entire postseason run at Denver which is convert Nikola Jokic into a scorer rather than a facilitator and essentially the spearhead of your guys' offense. So taking that approach drastically shifted how Denver approached their style of play because you got their quote-unquote stars like MPJ, for example. He's getting paid a max contract, so he's considered a star. Shooting one for six from three which is not better than his two for 11 performance in game one. But you typically would have thought that players along that caliber would have come out in game two with a lot more of a motor to get that offense going, especially early on. Whereas that was only true for the Heat. They came out with a sense of urgency in that game two, and it showed down the stretch as well. Specifically at the start of the fourth quarter, 
when you had the undrafted players like Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson making the plays to get them that lead. And then you had the Denver Nuggets pretty much just collapsing on defense, collapsing on switches, which is what we were talking about and what we wanted to see from the Celtics, right? Like we wanted to see those kinds of actions from the Celtics involving their two best players, screen and rolls, any kind of action that makes the defense collapse like they did to Denver at their home floor, which is unheard of this postseason. And then you had uh, Christian Brown, for example, losing Gabe Vincent a couple of times. You had wide open threes for the Miami undrafted role players, which essentially was the reason they won. They shot 48% from three that game. And that was a differentiator in the final score. They only won by three with a Hail Mary from uh, Jamal Murray, almost just barely grazed the front of the rim. So I, I found that that game plan coming out with Eric Spolstra and his team pretty much just was successful because they found out that they're not going to stop Jokic, right? Because he's a superstar of his own realm. He's on his own like echelon, right? So why not slow everybody else down to decrease that team chemistry aspect? So when it comes down to the stretch and they have to make that extra play, they're not hot enough or not in game form because they haven't touched the ball as much as they're used to doing so, which essentially made them pay down the stretch. You had Jokic, which was the only person over 20 points for the entire Denver Nuggets squad, whereas Miami mm-hmm. Heat was the opposite. I, I, I'd go as far as to say as Miami Heat took Denver's style of play and used it against them because they had multiple players with over 20 points and they also had more assists that game, which is usually not the case because you have teams like Denver moving the ball around so much that they often take that assists title every game or stat. And then you have this game where Miami came out with 28 assists compared to Denver's 23. So they had five more assists over the course of the entire game. And it showed during their style of play, especially late down the stretch. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny you mentioned that last part about uh, the Heat basically mimicking Denver's style of play. I almost feel like what the Heat have done in these playoffs is they do kind of know what Kirby does when on like Super Smash Bros., he sucks the guy in and he ends up with the costume of the person he sucks in as well as their powers. Basically, Miami's doing that. You know, That's they play cool the Celtics. Analogy. The Celtics, who were a very hot three-point shooting team during the season and could really rely on like an Al Horford or Malcolm Brogdon to score. And they said, hey, why don't we do that with like Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent? And it worked really well. The Celtics let them take those wide open threes they were laid on switches you know just generally very slow on defense and that was quite similar to what we saw in game two last night for Denver especially in that fourth quarter you know guys left wide open Duncan Robinson started off the quarter on personal eight to nothing run yeah like Miami just came out with that energy and intensity that Denver did and you know the Heat always play really stingy defense even if during the regular season their defense isn't quite as strong they always tighten up in the playoffs and yeah they basically relied on Jokic yesterday to put up a 40 piece just for the Nuggets not to win and they did a really good job even shutting down Jamal Murray he didn't shoot horribly but he only took nine shots from 18 points off 15 attempts from the field so it's definitely a bit of a limiting factor 
Yeah. Know, usually Murray's a bit of a bulk shooter. Yeah. You know, because he's a pretty solid one. He can get that three ball and get a bunch of different things. He did have 10 um, assists. So they kind of switched places between him and Jokic for that game. Jokic was their go to scorer, whereas Murray was more of a facilitator. And then you had, yeah, and you had three Heat guys getting over 20 points, including uh, Jimmy and Bam, who actually mm-hmm. has looked pretty good so far. Yeah. This finals. I think he's looked better than he did in the conference finals. He matches up gave- better with the Denver Nuggets because of his like athleticism, his ball handling ability, and then his speed compared to Jokic. Exactly. And I feel like Bam. I feel like Bam when he plays the Celtics gets into foul trouble early too. Yeah. Or at least has one game like that. Um and then gave Vincent too, as we said, the the you know, the role players came through. Honestly, I, I even, have a hot even take. Cody's even Cody Zeller had four points yesterday. Yeah. Like yeah. how about I have that? a hot take though? I honestly think Gabe Vincent is not playing like a role player. I think he's playing like their third best player, which makes him a star in my eyes. Because we're calling MPJ a star when he's coming out like with horrible shooting performances. I think he's shooting under like 20% from three for this series. And then you have Gabe Vincent, which is shooting around 50% from three for this series. He was five for 10 last game. And then he shot four for six. So that's over 50%. That's like in the 70s, I'm pretty sure. So Mm -hmm. I think Gabe Vincent is like making a name for himself. I think he's earning a huge paycheck because... He's been Miami's most reliable third best scorer. You see people like Caleb Martin and then um, Duncan Robinson, for example. They have off nights, whereas Gabe Vincent literally has not had an off night since the conference finals. He's come out with pretty much very stable performances ever since the conference finals. And then let's talk about Struess too for a second. He's very lopsided. Mm-hmm. But then he came out shooting four threes, four for seven. And then that's pretty much all of the points he had for the entire game. He had 12 points in the first. And then he finished the game with 12 points from those four threes in the first quarter. So they had an interview for the sideline during uh, one of the timeouts for him. And then he came out with the mentality that shooters shoot, you know, like even if I go over 10, I'm not going to back down from an open shot because that's my mentality. We have slumps. We shoot to get out of them. And then that's what happened that game. He came out. He opened the game super strongly for the Heat. And then the Heat took a backpedal for the rest of the game where Denver came back firing. Specifically in the second quarter, I thought that Eric Spolstra was kind of maybe like trying to play around with his bench a little too much because you, when we talked about previewing this series, we talked about how we were worried that Denver's not deep enough. And then you saw the start to the second quarter, Denver's bench, which was essentially green and um, and uh, Bruce Brown. They pretty much came out and set the tone in the second quarter. They outscored Miami so much. I think they went on a personal like 11-0 run themselves. And uh, yeah, they pretty much just broke Miami Miami's lead and uh, determination for that like stint within the game and then after that Eric Spolster still stuck with his bench and then that was the reason in the fourth quarter that they retook the lead so it takes a lot of courage and experience to actually stick with the people or players your second unit that lost you the lead which ended up giving you that lead again in the fourth quarter you had Duncan Robinson come out with his personal 8-0 run like we discussed and then you had Gabe Vincent bury that three where Christian Brown miscommunicated with Bruce Brown on that screen and roll action. 
that um Miami ran, you pretty much have Bam Adebayo being used like a poor man's Jokic in this series. He's being the facilitator. He was the the big or the player that had all the assists in the fourth to Duncan Robinson and gave Vincent to give Miami the lead again when that last time they had the lead was early in the in the first quarter. So you have Eric Spolster kind of mimicking Mike Malone's coaching strategies and using their own strengths against them, which takes a lot of coaching experience and prowess to develop and never mind execute. So you can try to preach that to your players all you want, but executing it on the floor is a whole different phenomenon. And they did that to a T, which ended up winning in the game. And Miami has really executed to a T. Going back to my original comment about the shooting threes, my my real point with that, you know, one stat to consider is at least up until the, the NBA finals, the Heat had made 58% of their wide open threes during the playoffs. And you know, this was a team that was almost mocked for being, you know, a poor shooting team, especially during the regular season. Uh, but then they come out and, you know, they're not even taking, they're taking an average or maybe slightly below average number of attempts, but they they just make the shots they need to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Denver almost did what Boston did in terms of like, you're late to your switches, you let the guys exactly. make their threes and, you know, even a guy like Struess who went 0 for 10 from the field, including 0 for 9 from 3 in game one. Yeah. You know, he stuck with it, you know, paid dividends. He got those early 12 points, which kind of kept Miami in it, made a comeback possible. It's always worth considering that too. Like even, Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's fun to poke fun at, at Struess, especially as a Celtics fan since they <laughs> caught him. But I mean, those 12 points were extremely valuable for them yesterday. And 100%. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let them let them stay in it, and you you know, also, the Nuggets also Nuggets also made some you know rough mistakes yesterday mm-hmm. too. That kind of, with it being a three point margin, they almost sold the game. Mm-hmm. I think one that was very interesting is KCP not once but fouling twice out. fouled a three point shooter. Yeah, which well, it wasn't just foul. fouling out; it was fouling yeah, the three point exactly. shooter yeah, on two of six Ky- fouls. He fouled Kyle Lowry too on that three point attempt, which was. Like it was very unnecessary, and then he ended up accruing fouls on shooting fouls, which ended uh, him like leaving the game. So he wasn't having a good game to begin with. Honestly, he didn't really contribute on the offensive end either. But uh, like wow. you'd, you'd like to think of him as a pretty rock solid defender, but he had a lot of mislapses yesterday that pretty much cost them the game. But we also have to talk about how Jokic had 41 points in 41 minutes. So they pretty much just had him resort to that scoring mentality. He he just kept backing people down in the post and then having that very soft hook shot go in. It literally touched nothing but net most of the time. And he was very efficient too. He shot 57% from the field. And it's worth noting that he also had... um, all like Denver scored 26 points in the third and he had 18 of those 26 and then going back to the fourth quarter Denver only had 25 points in the fourth quarter and most of those came late in clutch time whereas Miami had 36 and they came out with guns firing like we said Duncan Robinson went on his own three to three personal 8-0 run and uh Struess and Robinson pretty much who choked in game one just came out and neutralized their initial game one performances by carrying in that fourth quarter along with Gabe Vincent. 
So no word from Caleb Martin so far. At least he made that one corner three. I think he kind of went back to playing his role regarding the getting loose balls, the rebounds, those 50-50 balls, things along that nature. But I also want to preface about how moving Kevin Love back to the starting lineup was very essential. He was the only person for the entire Miami Heat squad that finished the game with double-digit rebounds at 10. The second was Bam mm-hmm. at 9. And his plus-minus was a team high if you don't count Gary Vincent, which is why I alluded to him being a star earlier. So he had a second-best uh, plus-minus at 18 for the Miami Heat which proves how his 22 minutes, he only played 22 minutes, but those 22 minutes were really valuable for the Miami Heat because of his spacing, the way he played defense on Aaron Gordon, which essentially opened up the map for the Miami Heat because they were able to place their top two defenders on Denver's most dangerous attacking scheme, which is that pick and roll with Murray and Jokic. That pick and roll with those two players essentially destroyed the NBA, giving them the first seed in the West, which is the better conference. They they had the third best record in the entire league because of that one play. And then on top of all of the off-ball movement, backdoor cuts, screen and rolls, dribble handoffs, it's essentially a flawless historic offense. But then on top of that, you have those two players having an a magnitude of options every time they go through that action because you have Jokic with his ability to shoot, with his ability to pass. You have Murray with the exact same abilities on top of his ball handling and speed. And then every other teammate is moving off ball to create those perfect opportunities for those two players off those actions. So what did Miami do? They put their top two defenders guarding that. And and then the best part is they can switch on Den- uh, they can switch on Denver's Murray and Jokic. So Bam can guard Jokic and Murray, and then Butler can do the same thing. And that was essentially, for me at least, the top thing that came out with Miami's game plan adjustment-wise to help neutralize Denver's uh, passing-centric offense and kind of resort to more of an iso ball with uh, Jokic backing people down to try to get his hook shots, which were a high percentage shot. But like we alluded to, that only carried them that far. And then when they relied on their teammates down the stretch to make those shots, they were so disconnected from the offense and uninvolved that they simply didn't have the chemistry and the touch that they needed to develop throughout that game to make those shots. So you had a very important player like KCP fouling jump shooters, like you just alluded to yourself, which made him foul out of the entire game. And then Mike Malone had to resort to Bruce Brown, which is better defense, but at the same time, that's negative shooting on the floor when you're comparing him to KCP. So that adjustment from Spolstra to basically just switch Kevin Love on Aaron Gordon so Bam and Butler can guard that pick and roll was the reason they won that game, in my opinion. It's funny. Yeah, again, well, I focus on the current games, but just kind of thinking about how Miami got into this position and obviously stole game two mm-hmm. on Denver's home floor. Wasn't it their first win in Denver since 2016 as 2016. well? 2016. 2016. Isn't that crazy? Um, that's so crazy. It's been so, especially with how much success Miami has had in the succeeding years like yeah been to the finals twice the eastern conference finals three times mm-hmm. so it's a little shocking they don't hadn't beaten the nuggets in denver since then 
Uh, but anyways, that they, they there are some very strong parallels between the you know the fourth quarter of like the Eastern Conference Finals for the Heat and the fourth quarter of like Game Two. Mm-hmm. Just insofar as the Heat make offense off of defense, yeah, you know, they force yeah. You know, for example, the Heat forced the Celtics to take a lot of horrendous uh, three point jumpers in the Conference Finals. You know, limited their ball movement. You know, their pick and rolls and stuff like that. And they did the same with the Nuggets. And the Nuggets also rely on sharing the ball a lot with their teammates and trying to get them open looks and just sort of spreading the ball and having multiple people score, besides, even besides just your two stars. But the Heat sort of forced those mental errors, which is also a little surprising because the Nuggets were like a very clean offense, you know, historically yeah. clean offense, as exactly. you alluded to earlier as well. But they just made too many mental errors for a th- you know one possession game and that that's how miami likes to win those games precisely you know, again credit to spolstra for making those defensive adjustments having their two best pl- players arguably mm-hmm. you know obviously Kip, gabe vincent playing really well caleb martin too but you know bam and jimmy are your two guys your two best defenders yeah. and they they did their jobs defensively Mm-hmm. And it was kind of interesting. The Heat also did a good job distrib- or balancing between having Jimmy on the court, but also letting, you know, the bench, the role players, you know, for lack of a better term, do their thing as well, which, you know, we, you discussed earlier, credit to Eric Spolstra for trusting those guys. Exactly. It also gave Jimmy the opportunity to catch a breather too. I know, I know his ankle's been bothering him as well for a bit, so was also probably helpful for him and allows him to stay fresh and tuned in, especially defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, again, just, I think Miami makes a lot of good offensive plays off their defense. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what we were discussing a few episodes ago about their depth. We kind of alluded to this in the last episode, how Denver was less deep when you go to the Miami bench squad and then that kind of gets alluded to in this game's performance in game two, right? Like Malone only had uh, his trust confining in eight people. So he only went eight players deep, whereas Miami's bench was 10 players deep. So you got uh, players like Hayward Highsmith, Cody Zelle, yeah, playing in the finals in game two, uh, be it they only played eight and six minutes respectively. However, you still have Spolstra insignificant. trusting those people to get out on the court, whereas Mike Malone doesn't have that trust in like an Ish Smith or a DeAndre Jordan, for example. You know, so what we talked about last episode in terms of the Miami Heat having the deeper squad essentially prevailed them in this game along with those defensive switches. And then something that's not really stats-based that I want to get into a little bit with you is... I think that the Denver Nuggets is the only team that really fundamentally respects the Miami Heat because every other team, like the, the, the Miami Heat were underdogs throughout this entire postseason's run, right? They were obviously uh, underdogs against um, the Bucks, and then slight underdogs against New York. And then very, very, very like Boston was an extreme favorite when you uh, compare them mm-hmm. to the Miami Heat. And then so is the Denver Nuggets. They're even more of a favorite than Boston was to the uh, Miami Heat. So I think on top of them thriving in that underdog mentality, going back to game one, I think that's kind of why Denver came out with game one, because both teams had really horrible shooting performances. But Denver going into the finals into game one 
respected Miami Heat more than any other team they've played. Whereas Miami kind of thrives through that underdog mentality and then being disrespected. I know they say that they don't really listen to outside noise, but like if people are disrespecting you from the team you're facing, you're going to hear that. Even if you don't choose to, it's going to come to you. It's going to roam towards you, whether it be a reporter asking you about it or whatever the case may be. Now, not them not caring about it is something versus them realizing and then just having that knowledge, right? So I think Denver paying their respects to the Miami Heat kind of helped them in that game one situation because even though it was an eighth seed and it was like the one team that they didn't think they were going to face, that they ended up getting there. And they respected their journey so much that they let the their style of play show that. They didn't, like, um, get too comfortable when they had leads in game one. They didn't kind of, like, stop uh, pressing their foot on the gas pedal. They didn't kind of just, like, take it easy when they had leads in that game one situation. They kept putting that, uh, putting their feet on the gas pedal. They kept trying to muster more and more of a lead throughout that game one. And then that same thing can be shown in that game two. Um, I think in going back to game one in the fourth quarter, they kind of came out a little bit flat. Miami went on their personal 10-0 run going back to game one. And you had the coach call a timeout and then they he reminded them, they're like, hey, this is the team that comes back from 10-0 the most in the entire history of the playoffs and the finals. Uh, the 2023 Miami Heat has seven comebacks and ended up winning them those all seven games when they were under by 10. So they're making history on their own front being underdogs. And I think Denver's respect for them helps how they play because I think a lot of the other teams kind of just underestimated them going into the matchup. And then they ended up getting screwed on the court, whereas Denver proved to them in their style of play that they respect that team so much by trying harder than other teams did, given how they were underdogs in that situation. No, I, I tend to agree with that. I think, uh, as you said, the Heat have basically been underdogs for every series they've played in so far these playoffs. And I don't think most of them, like, listen to the outside noise insofar as making a distraction. But I definitely don't believe that a guy like Jimmy Butler doesn't at least acknowledge it. I mean, we all remember his reaction from the Eastern Conference semifinals last year after the Heat won. His infamous Tobias Harris over me, Tobias Harris over me. And I like, love that. It was one of those things, like, first of all, shows you how much of a dog Jimmy is. Mm-hmm. You know, Philly made a huge mistake getting rid of him, and Miami made a great decision bringing him in. Uh, but I, he, he takes the outside noise and uses it as motivation, which is yeah. what helps the Heat. Them being an underdogs, they use as motivation to sort of almost undercut them. Mm-hmm. Like they, they undercut the box big time, you know, beat them in five games. You know, they didn't even really make it a series. Like no. they just dominated, especially Jimmy Butler, you know, had that infamous 56 point 50, game. Yeah. And he, and then the heat just kind of kept their foot on the gas and they always wait for the moment the team takes their foot off the gas or, you know, they make a mistake and get distracted. In the case of the Nuggets, you know, again, it's similar what happened with teams the Heat played early on. They came out flat and weren't ready for the barrage that the Heat had in store. But I feel like by, like, the conference finals, like, you know, the Celtics should have known that the Heat can make their wide-open threes again, as I mentioned. They 
have made 58% of them up until the NBA finals. And, you know, Denver came out flat in the fourth quarter yesterday and the heat were able to make, what was it? Their seventh comeback of the season mm-hmm. went down by double digits heading into the fourth quarter. Exactly. And then their undrafted players um, headlined that run to win them the game. Vincent, Martin, Struess, Duncan Robinson. Duncan pretty much elevated his style of play compared to like last postseason where he was essentially reduced to just a spot-up shooter. The way he's putting the ball on the floor this postseason run is surprising many in terms of him actually making those backdoor cuts him making plays, him passing the ball more, him putting the ball on the floor to dictate his decision-making rather than simply being relegated to a spot-up shooter because we both know that he's too good to just shoot threes, right? Especially the way the defense guards him. They guard him so far out that if he just slips like a backdoor run or a screen, he pretty much has a wide-open layup. So utilizing those on top of his shooting prowess is opening a lot more doors for the Miami Heat. Like, you see him... um, you see uh, Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin and Struess combining for, I think it was three for 22 or something like that in game one. And the Heat only lost by 10. So you had a lot of narratives after game one with Jokic's 10 points, 10 assists in the first half. He ended the game with 27, 10, and 14 on 73 and 50% splits, which is astro- absolutely ridiculous. And then you have your undrafted players going like two for 23. So that pretty much felt uh, like it left the Miami Heat feeling super strongly about how they can come back with a performance like we just witnessed yesterday in game two. But then there was that other side of the narrative as well, right? You had a lot of analysts come out and say, Michael Porter Jr. is not going to shoot two for 11 again. You're not, you're not going to have your best players on the Denver Nuggets missing wide open threes like they just did uh, in game one. You um, like the Denver Nuggets had so many open threes I think they shot eight for 27 that's 30 percent for the entire game in game one so you had that other narrative where analysts were coming out and saying you're not going to have Jamal Murray shoot two for seven again you're not going to have Caldwell Pope shooting three for eight from the field you know so they felt good about themselves too but then unfortunately I think the dime that they had off kind of just made them not the best when it comes to that like shooting touch and they relied too much on their playmaking and just other facets of the game uh, outside of their shooting, which ended up winning them that game one. And then that could not carry over to game two, especially with Miami coming out blistering hot from three. Yeah, and you again, the, the Heat have been great about distributing the ball and not forcing like one or two people to win them the game. And I mean, it does come down to you know, the role bench players executing, which again, just the heat vastly outperformed the nuggets in that regard. I mean, KCP, I believe was like one for four from the field from last night. So, you know, he really didn't come out strong. Bruce Brown was okay. Yeah. It was like four for nine from the field, but it's, it's just not going to cut it. And the nuggets, you know, we talked about how defense at times has been a weakness. They were, not a top 10 rated defense coming into the NBA finals, which is, you know, historical rarity. Exactly. Extremely so. And yeah, came back to bite them a little bit. Just you have no room for, for error, no room for slacking against the heat. They'll 
find a way to win even when they're not really expected to and I think for Denver's case they they just need more from their other guys not named Jokic and Murray you know Murray definitely can score more than 18 points that's a bit underwhelming but I I, he oh he definitely will but it's more of like I don't blame him for losing yesterday because many other guys on the court play where i mean especially michael porter jr yeah i would point the finger to mpj firstly uh one for six is just not cutting it like stop settling for threes cut to the rim you're six ten you know like you shoot a mid-range you know one for six off of three is not going to cut it for that game two performance coming off your two for 11 uh performance in game one and then going back to game one you had denver pretty much having 96 total shot attempts compared to miami's 78 or, uh, sorry, Miami had 96 shot attempts compared to Denver 78. So Denver had almost 20 less shots than Miami, and they still came out with a W. That's why all of them internally they felt really good coming into that game two situation because it go back it goes back to Miami not being aggressive on the free throw line too. They had a historic two free throw attempts low in the entire finals history in the NBA, uh, and then. I think Denver had upwards of like 20 free throw attempts. Yeah, they had 20 when Miami only had two. So you had both sides kind of feeling good about that loss for Miami and that win for Denver because Denver came out and said, oh, MPJ is not going to shoot that bad. KCP is not going to shoot that bad. And we had um, almost 20 less shot attempts than them and we won by 10. And then you had that Miami side saying that Struce is not going to shoot 0 for 9. Uh, Caleb's not going to shoot 0 for 7 or 1 for 7. And we are definitely not going to shoot two free throws coming into game two. So we had more of a balanced free throw shooting, more of a balanced aggressiveness. And then that narrative we talked about converting Jokic into a score, making their other teams kind of just ball watch and being a lot, a lot colder when it comes to their number being called to make that shot, which ended up winning Miami the game. Yeah. And I think uh, you're, you're right. Making Jokic just be a pure scorer doesn't, workflow for like he can get his points if he wants to it's just you know not not sharing the ball again it's really out of brand for denver exactly that's just not how they nuggets offense you know again they're more of a pick and roll you know ball around the world type of team yeah you know so, so cuts. again i know you mentioned it earlier but i just want to re-emphasize that credit to eric spolstra of miami for sort of forcing the nuggets to change their game plan, make their offense significantly less efficient overall and move away from their bread and butter. I, I think that is how the Heat, if they're able to beat the Nuggets, will do so. You know, it's basically two factors. It's making your open threes and it's forcing Denver to do things that they haven't needed to do or been forced to do all season long. Um, you know, obviously I said Nuggets and six before the final started i think there's still a decent shot of that holding up but i think miami shown why they shouldn't be counted out pretty honestly they probably shouldn't be counted out until game seven if there were like a game eight it's like <laughs> don't even count out the heat before then but yeah i i think miami's gonna stay right on the heels of denver you know yeah. now miami gets to take it back to their court yeah see what they can do down in south beach you have to give credit where credit is due, right? Like, shout out to Miami. Shout out to Miami Heat fans. You had a lot of analysts come out after game two saying that Miami, even though we just discussed how Denver doesn't have a lot of room for error because of their defense not being up to par, 
Miami doesn't have any room for error. If they don't shoot well from three, they lose. If they don't guard the uh, Murray Jokic pick and roll well, they lose, right? And like they're a lot smaller as a team, as a unit, regardless. So if they don't, if they get out rebounded, they lose. If they get um, out hustled on offensive rebounds, they lose. So they if they have more turnovers, they lose. Exactly, they're playing with fire. And that's been a big one for Miami too. Exactly, they're playing with fire. No pun intended, because they just are so much of an underdog in every single aspect except for defense. So they have to tee up on like five, six different factors every game and make sure every one of those becomes at least a nine or ten out of ten. And then if one of them goes down to like not being perfected upwards to a nine or ten out of ten, they lose. It's simply like an aggregate of um, rules and uh, an aggregate of team strategies that have to be perfected and executed to the highest of standards. And if one of them fails a little bit, not even fully, just partially fails, then they lose the game. That's how much of a of a beast squad they're facing uh, in the Denver Nuggets. So their room for error is pretty much slim to none. And then they showed how they can execute that in game two. The question is if they can do that in two games, going back to South Beach, South Beach, like you said. And if they can, then I would pretty much say that they would be the favorites if they're going back to vendor 3-1, because that then that's a, a brand new series. But I'm alluding that they're going to split the series down in South Beach as well, which is going to make it a hell of a series going back to Denver. Maybe Denver is going to go up 3-2. And maybe Miami is going to go back to South Beach and tie it to 3-3. And then we'll have a game seven. But yeah, so we thought, we think that I thought, or like what I think is going to happen if we want to like forecast the rest of the series is I think Denver is going to get game three. And then Miami is going to tee up, get game four. We're going to come back to Denver. They're going to get game five. And then we're going to go back to South Beach. They're going to get game six. And then we're going to have a game seven where it's up for grabs. I hope one team doesn't choke like um, Boston did in Game 7 because then that's not really a fun Game 7 situation. But I kind of want to see it go out to 7 now that Miami kind of like took a game on the road. I thought they would be down 0-2 going back to South Beach and then they would tie it down there. But honestly, they came out and surprised the world and stole one on Denver's home court for the first time this postseason. So at this point, anything is possible. I'm still going to stick with our prediction of Denver in six. But I would like to see it go to seven from a pure basketball fan's perspective. I feel exactly the same way. Like now that Miami has a game and proves that they, maybe not that they've solved the Nuggets, but that they can make life super difficult for them in a way that pretty much no team has been able to this year. Yeah, you know, probably has that entire locker room feeling good. I think, uh, yeah, I think being on the home court will somewhat benefit Miami. Yeah, obviously they lost games like game six of the conference finals, both this year and last. Um, This year, obviously being in super heartbreaking fashion, but I interestingly enough could almost see a situation where like the Heat do that to Denver, especially after the fourth quarter of yesterday, you know, where Denver had a lot of lapses and the Heat have just been that sneaky good of a team. They made, they made a, you know, double, double, digit deficit comeback last night in the fourth quarter so it's absolutely doable and Miami is definitely a team that more often than not capitalizes on the other team's mistakes you know they usually win again with tough defense making open threes and I would also add winning in the turn winning the turnover battle which they lo- they've lost at times I think 
yesterday they won if i'm not mistaken yeah they had like two less i think i think denver had 13 miami had 11 uh or something like that yes you're right they also had two fewer turnovers in game one they just didn't shoot well yeah miami's not really a minimizing on those mistakes no they lose when they do but you're right they're not and Um, i think they're like seven and one when bam scores over 20 That'll also help, especially when Bam can be more of a, you know, contribute on both ends of the floor, not yeah, like get in foul trouble. Well. Exactly. He had, what, nine assists last night? No, I think he only had like four. Or no, that was Jokic. Oh, he had nine points. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was so did Bam. Bam. Had... Yeah, I look at the stat sheet a lot. <laughs> okay, Bam had four. But, yeah, I think it's doable for Miami to at least win one on home court I think as you said they'll probably split you know maybe Miami takes game three but I think probably Denver more likely takes that one I I think Miami wins the close one again in game four I don't think there's really gonna be any blowouts unless the Nuggets are just super hot offensively in the heat can't make a bucket to save their lives but that's the only way I see a blowout happening Hopefully, if there is a game seven, as you said, we don't get treated to that because it's just not a fun way to end a series, particularly a seven game series, which, you know, yields excitement and lots to look forward to. Uh, I think once they go back to Denver, the Nuggets definitely have an advantage being back at home court. Um, I don't know if the altitude actually affects basketball players or not since they play indoors. I have no idea. Um, that's always been like for football, for example, where you, you're playing outside, like it definitely matters. And even for like kicking the ball, um, but I don't know about like basketball when you're inside in like a climatized mm-hmm. arena. Um, it's always something to think about, and, you know, the heat, you have to fly switch time zones. Of course the nuggets do too, but all those different things can, can toy with your brain, even a two hour difference in time. I mean, you went from going to university on the east coast to being back on the west coast where you grew up yeah. to work so um but all that all that to say kind of went off a little bit of a tangent but all that to say it, it's going to be at least a six game series mm-hmm. i as a basketball fan would prefer seven games but i don't think either team i definitely don't feel like i would say oh yes the nuggets are 100 percent winning at all or yes, the Heat are 100% winning it all. You know, I think both teams have a lot going for them right now, but also some potential downfalls or areas of concern. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it, discussed. I think if Miami kind of just, like, sticks to their game plan, I, I don't think Coach Malone has a lot of room to work with in terms of their, their adjustments on outside of, like, just having MPJ and KCP have better games. Like, and I think they will, obviously, right? But then that goes back to Miami's role players and seeing if they can contain them. Because if they keep guarding that core action with uh, the screen and roll with Jokic and Murray, with Bam and Butler, that's pretty much the best defensive coverage Jokic and Murray with the entire Denver Nuggets squad have seen all postseason, right? We talked about how Miami was able to do the unthinkable of beating them at home on the road for Miami. 
Like even the Lakers, who had a historic defense in this postseason run, weren't able to do that. They came close both game one and game two, but they weren't able to break through. And we're talking about AD, who's, I think, the best defender in the playoffs based off of pure numbers so far. So when you had like Miami coming in and trying to save that, it was that whole narrative of are you able to do what the best defensive team couldn't and take a game on the road on their home floor? They found that key and were able to affect that change in terms of keeping love on Aaron Gordon and then using their best two defensive players to guard Denver's most effective offensive strategy. And then that in turn kind of limited their other role players in terms of production and then how we touched on them not being as deep of a team as the Miami Heat squad is, they were able to let their best stars go to work and get them the points they needed to get. But when it came down to the stretch to the other players contributing where needed, it wasn't the case because they skewed away from their normal style of play that they're used to, which is essentially keeping everybody involved in every single time they go onto that offensive uh, side of the court and employ their offensive scheme. They have every player touch the ball, feel like they're part of that offense in every single attack. However, when it came down to that last game two situation, we saw Miami was able to influence that style of play, which ended up winning them the game by a slim margin of three because they made a lot more threes than Denver did. And then those plus ones just kept adding up and then... Yeah, they took the game and hopefully they can employ that same strategy going into game three, four and four, because it's going to be hard when Denver's coming out with a huge sense of urgency because they're deemed the favorites. And then you're not going to have the role players shooting as bad as badly as they did again. So I'm interested to see how Eric Spolstra is going to affect his player style of play um, based off of the adjustments that Mike Malone's going to make. I agree. And I, I think. Mike Malone is usually a guy who can knock that sense of urgency into that team. And I, I think the Nuggets have been pretty good with that overall this season. You know, they're pretty good in clutch time, pretty, you know, yeah, very, very strong offense, both from a historic perspective and just in the here and now. And I think the one thing that benefits, well, obviously the depth benefits Miami, but in multiple ways. Obviously, you can figure out who's shooting well and who isn't. You can think about spacing. You can think about who can you match up with who on defense, you know, and how might Denver try to rotate around, do some pick and rolls and stuff like that. And, you know, with Eric Spolstra being such a great coach, he knows how to retool Miami's rotations and make it work. And I think in game two, he did a really good job with that, you know, along with the guys sort of doing what's asked of them particularly those undrafted role players. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see if they can keep that up. And I do think that's one thing that could definitely be Denver's downfall is, you know, that lack of depth compared to Miami. I think it's like the one main area, not the only area the Heat have an advantage in, but the one where I'm like, yeah, it's a Heat and not even close. Um, and you definitely saw that yesterday. You know, Michael Porter Jr., MPJ, hasn't been himself so far this series. And some of the other role players, you know, maybe a Bruce Brown, maybe a, a KCP or 
you know, even, even uh, old vet like Jeff Green, you know, none, none of them have played super poorly, but they haven't shot particularly well. And yeah, Michael Porter Jr. Like they've been shooting 29% from the field in these finals and 17% from three. And Mans finished the regular season shooting 42% from three on many shot attempts. So it's safe to say that I don't think he's going to have performances like these for the rest of the finals. So I'm intrigued to see Coach Spolstra's adjustment to Mike Malone's adjustments. Because we also know that Denver is not going to have that many defensive lapses and breakdowns when it comes to like screen and rolls with Duncan Robinson. Like he has a lot of gravity. He has like that Steph Curry effect, which is if he even ghosts a screen. So he kind of just like pretends like he's going to do it and then just runs away. I think oftentimes you have two Denver players following him, which clears up a wide open shot for another wide open knockdown shooter. So you have Denver that's not going to make these same mistakes over and over again, which were essentially why the Heat cap were able to capitalize and steal that W on the road. So I want to see, um, I'm almost intrigued to see Spolstra's live adjustments to Mike Malone's uh, preordained adjustments that they're going through making right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, for me personally, again, you know, MPJ might be the X factor. I, 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 I as we discussed off, sort of offline or, you know, by text, you know, the difference, I, I differentiate between X factor versus like a dark horse, like maybe not a dark horse more being like an undrafted role player who you don't expect to perform well, but does versus an X factor where I'm like, you, you really need them to perform well to win. And you, you know, it, it's not rare for them to be at their peak. So I would say like maybe less so Jamal Murray so far this series, but more like an MPJ, you know, you really need him shooting. Even if he was shooting like 35% from three, yeah, that was makes such a huge difference for, for the Nuggets. Yeah. They, they just got to make more of their right open. Now. He's literally shooting yeah, half so of that. 35 would be so, double he's shooting 17%. That's insane. So I'm I'm curious to see just because I the one thing I haven't looked into is you know uh MPJ's shot selection and what percentage have been like yeah well contested versus open. So I'm also curious to see if Mike Malone makes adjustments try to get him more wide open looks, you know, and see how maybe they can facilitate through through Jokic or even through Murray to try and get those looks um that, that that'll be you know again that's more of a preordained adjustment as you said yeah. you know you then, can have aaron I, gordon I, I shooting better from three which is kind of crazy because aaron gordon's not yeah, being also, a three-point shooter but he went two for two last game and then mpj couldn't buy a bucket so and i get thinking gordon literally was like six for eight from the field in that first quarter of game one at 12 he's points. being one of their best role players easily right now Especially on in the glass and in the paint, like that first quarter of Game One, I think Aaron Gordon almost seemed to be making a statement to D Wade for what he did to him in the dunk contest a few years back. Yeah, no, he should have should have gotten that one. fifty. Yeah, that, that everybody was, knows he got robbed, so it's like he won anyway. Highway Just, robbery, bro. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, no, you have Aaron, Aaron Gordon, Gordon playing better than Michael Porter Jr. You got a problem. You know, kudos to Aaron Gordon though, and if he gets if he gets a ring for the way he's playing, then I feel like that would almost be his revenge, honestly. 
for the dunk contest would just be winning his ring. He's even shooting um, better than Kentavious Caldwell Pope from three. Be it, he only took three shot attempts from three. He's two for three in the finals. Uh, KCP's two for six at 33%. So you have the worst three-point high- shooter on your team shooting better than your knockdown shooters. That's, that's, that's kind of concerning. <laughs> It's good to see our confidence in Aaron Gordon too. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, he's not a volume shooter in any way, shape, or they form. They were leaving him open the- too. That's why he was like making them. He was pretty much like licking his fingers, smelling which wind, wind, the direction the wind was going. He was that wide open because Miami wanted him to shoot it, and then he made them pay twice. But I don't forecast KCP and MPJ shooting that badly going forward. Not even close. I don't I don't think so either. I think I, I again think that you need an a more of a performance from MPJ to really win. Although I think KCP not going one for four from the field again would also really help. Yeah, combined with his defensive lapses too, like fouling three point shooters at least twice, like you said. Twice, yeah. That like kind of brought his plus minus way down, just affected team morale badly. Like you saw late in the in game two in the fourth quarter, Denver was just pretty much complaining all the time to the refs rather than actually playing because their frustrations with certain calls just had them play a certain way, which was which which team does this remind me of that just played (laughs) the Miami Heat? Instead of playing defense, they complain to the refs. And yes, I am criticizing the team I root for. You think <laughs> Adam Silver the, the told big... the refs to kind of like give the whistle towards Miami so the series could get extended a little bit? Nah. He was in the building for game about... two. He was in the building. It's always funny to, to ask those kinds of questions. And the rest do make some kinds of calls where you're like, really? Yeah. You know what? There was a few out of bounds plays late game in uh, game two. Yeah, didn't which Jim, I think should have went Denver's way, honestly speaking. Yeah, didn't Jimmy have another moment where he was like on the end line clearly, but didn't get the out yeah? Of no, he call? stepped out of bounds and they counted it, and it was a three point shot that was made out of that. So was it was it wasn't Gabe Vincent that made that one, or was yeah. it because he also had one in the Boston series where I think either Max Struess or Kale Martin. Yeah, no, he, his foot was on the line and they gave it to him. So there's definitely a lot, a lot of questionable calls where, like, see, that kind of differentiates Miami from Denver in my point of view because Miami's experience and their culture, kind of them being there before even in 2020, they've been through that experience. So they know not to complain and just keep their eyes pedal to the metal, stay focused, and just try to find a way to win the game regardless. Whereas Denver, which was the favorite team, came out with that intuition that, oh, we're going to win because we're better, and then started complaining and then kind of leaving their eye away from the prize rather than focusing on the late game situation they had going on. And even through all of that and through all of the bad calls that they had, they came with an, a one uh, buzzer beating uh, game tying shot opportunity so that's why we think even after Miami stole one on the road that Denver it's Denver series to lose even at this point because they are the more talented team however I think the one thing that they lack which Miami has down to a T is that experience that they've had within that playoff run especially in the finals you don't have anyone on the entire Denver Nuggets squads that's been there before outside of KCP Whereas uh, in Miami, you have pretty much that entire Miami squad, which has been to the finals. 
And then you have um, Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love, which are uh, champions. So that definitely like bleeds out to the rest of the locker room. Like you saw in that late game situation in game two, you saw two different teams, even though Miami was getting those favorited calls. I think if it was the other way around, Miami wouldn't have like complained to the refs. They would have kept focused, locked in, and they would have probably found a way to win regardless. Whereas Denver was too busy complaining. They were too busy getting frustrated and that showed in their late game play. Yeah. And it's almost interesting. Like the last part you mentioned reminded me a good bit of last year's finals, actually, where you had, you know, the one advantage where the Western, or excuse me, where the team that was maybe viewed as slight underdogs heading in or underdogs, depending on how you want to look at it. What they did have was more experience, more championship, you know, caliber players, you know, guys who had been there, done that before um, versus a team who who literally had no guys who had ever been to the finals before, including a vet who literally broke the record for the longest amount of time it took an NBA player to reach the finals. Yep. Damn. Yeah. Al Horford had the most playoff games in NBA history without a finals appearance until last year. Uh, um, but it was kind of the same thing. Like the the Warriors used their, their championship know-all to sort of exploit the mistakes of the Celtics. And, you know, the Celtics kind of, hate to say it, crumbled a bit under the pressure, particularly yeah. their stars. You know, there was complaining to the refs and, you know, because they probably did think they were going to win, especially like, you know, maybe three games in where it was two to one. Yeah. And made a huge game one uh, way win. You know, it was probably the same thing for Denver last night. They're like, we're on our home court. Like, we have to win this. We're, we are the better team. There's exactly. no way we can't. There's no way you guys are going to let us not win this. Mm-hmm. But a loss, you know, they're complaining. I'm not going to say it caused them to lose, but, you know, probably got them into a bad mentality. Shifted their focus away from winning, which caused them to lose. And and definitely shifted the momentum towards Miami. Exactly. Exactly. It kind of started a domino effect, which ended up with them failing. Exactly. And once the heat, it's like if you give a mouse a cookie, if you give the heat a chance to make it like a two possession game, you know, all of a sudden that lead just doesn't exist at all. Like Mm -hmm. once you let the heat cut it down to a certain number of points. You almost can, you might as well be tied at that point because the heat are just not going to go away. Exactly. And, you know, they will use guys like Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, who have been to the finals before and the Eastern Conference finals twice before, as well as a coach with a lot, a lot of finals experience, you know, titles under his belt, Nerick Spolstra. Mm Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're at the NBA Finals. So, like, both teams have been through hell and back to get there. So, even if you shift your focus away from winning for, like, two, three game minutes, that's enough for the other team to get right back in it and even get the lead. And that's what we saw in that lane game two situation. Because we had Denver being frustrated with the calls that they were getting, which shifted their focus away from winning. And then that resulted in Miami using that two, three minutes of game time to directly influence them winning because... Like I alluded to right now, you're at the NBA Finals. You have the best two teams standing from the entire NBA, which is the premier league in the entire world when it comes to basketball. So you can't afford to have lapses like that if you're the better team because 
you're allowing that two, three minutes for the other team, which is essentially more than a lifeline for them to come back because that's how they've made a name for themselves and gotten to that point to begin with it, to get to the NBA finals. They've used those like minutes, those one, two, three, four time-lapse minutes where the other team kind of just looked the other way, took their foot off the gas pedal, and then used that to gain momentum to get back into the game and essentially win every series up to that point. So if you're Denver right now, you want to make sure that you don't start that chain reaction because if you do, it's only a matter of time until Miami uses it to their advantage and ends up running away with this championship. And next thing you know, you were the by far the favorite team to win and you're standing on the other side just like Boston, New York, and Milwaukee is right now. Like you have a lot of comments on social media saying, oh, just wait till you like, From I'm a Boston fan. Oh, wait till you see what Miami has up their sleeve, you know? Because it takes that two seconds of lack of focus for a, a team of that caliber to come back. And it, it, from how they're shooting, they shot 48% from through that game. It, it literally takes three possessions, three threes, nine point turnaround, just like that. Bro, imagine... Imagine like a maybe a game four where it's like, let's say Denver wins game two. It's like two to one. The Nuggets think they're about to head back to Denver with a three to one series lead. But then all of a sudden, like a reverse Derek White happens, except it's like Gabe Vincent or yeah someone like that with the putback. Yeah. You know, it's Gabe kind of funny to mention. And I almost don't want to speak well I kind of want to speak into existence as a basketball fan because that's absolutely thrilling basketball to watch it's like the Caruso but, put back dunk in the Lakers in the regular season that one time that's right man that's a guy that's a guy the Lakers shouldn't have gotten rid of just yeah, on a neither, side note no either even Casey same with KCP yeah. exactly that was a that was a solid championship team they had but it is also interesting to think about as you mentioned like once they're at the finals like there's nothing else to save up for there's nothing to hide from the playbook mm-hmm. so they're going to use every both coaches are going to use every single trick up their sleeve yeah and also like again you know we like to say you know for example the celtics choked the lakers choked in the conference finals which is definitely true but we also need to appreciate how hard it is to just make it to the big stage to the nba finals as you said you know the nba is the premier basketball league in the world you have guys coming from all over from literally every inhabitable continent basically you know like Embiid coming from from africa or cameroonian and you know luka or Jokic coming from eastern europe or even like a Kyrie. Kyrie's came from australia like you have guys coming from all over the map to come play Obviously, historically, guys like Yao Ming coming from China. SGA from Canada, Jamal Murray from Canada, Andrew Wiggins from Canada. But that's that just shows you like how every like great player in the world is at the very least trying to play in the NBA. Absolutely. And if, if they're good enough, they'll they'll make it happen. It's you know has the biggest revenue base and therefore like you know best pay you know and you get to play on the biggest stage in the world so making it to the finals is insanely difficult especially when you're an eight seed yeah i mean it's it still blows my mind that we have a one seed eight seed finals because that's literally like a first 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 round matchup type of deal yeah and they're tied like an nba finals and they're tied and 
it's not one where you can easily, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's not a series where you can easily say one team is about to win or the other. Again, I, I, I see scenarios where both teams could leave with, with championships. Yeah. Yeah. I'm intrigued to see next weekend when we record, if it's going to be a three, one or a two, two. So then we'll see what happens. Till next time, boys and girls. Family.